In the most divisive of times, the great debates rage on. Who was the best Batman? Was the book truly better than the movie? Did Han shoot first? Nerds with opinions will seek to answer life's greatest questions. Hello there, fellow nerds. You are listening to Nerds with Opinions, episode number 104. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holbin. Today on the podcast, I am joined by guest host, Jimmy Levins, and we are embarking on the ninth part of the Quarantine Watchlist series. It's the second to the last one that we're going to do. We're going to stop at 10. We're almost done with this long, long journey. If you're new to the podcast, you're not familiar with what Quarantine Watchlist is. It's this series that we started at the beginning of the pandemic where we're basically talking about all the different media that we we're watching, all the TV, all the movies. And now that, you know, things are, the pandemic isn't over, but, you know, movie theaters are opening back up. People are kind of getting back to more normal sorts of lives. We, we felt it was time to end this. So we did this epic ending and just did these like two giant episodes so this is the first of the last two, Quarantine Watchlist 9, here today on Nerds with Opinions. I am back with guest host, it's been a bit, Jimmy Levins, and we are... Picking back up with the quarantine watch list series, and we are basically doing very much like Harry Potter before us. We are doing a two-part finale and busting mm. out nine and ten of the series and then calling it good because it, it seems like the world's kind of changing a bit with COVID, and um, hopefully that'll be a continual upwards trend and... For the, for the betterment of society, we're going to wrap this series up and so hopefully, you know, people aren't doing their watch lists all in quarantine like we were over the last year. But we'll, this is going to put a nice little bow on on this snapshot of this this year, which I think is, is interesting. Oh, yes, 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 it will be. It'll be good just to like talk about movies in person again uh, since both of us are fully vaccinated and it's been over two weeks. So I feel mm -hmm. like uh, it's soon, soon we'll have a, I don't know. We're well, looking forward to seeing what's to come next in the IRL versus in the URL uh, world. Right. Yeah. So for me, I am. I'm still. I'm still very much looking forward to um, like going to the like actual movie theater. I haven't done that since mm -hmm. March of 2020. So. Oh, so what was what was the last? I think you mentioned this, but I forget. What was the last movie you saw in a theater? The Invisible Man. Okay, yeah, for mine, my for my birthday. Yeah. Mine was technically the Way Back or Onward, I think. And then I have like on occasion gone back to it when I've been like the only one in the entire theater. Mm -hmm. um, but like, uh, I don't know. Those are their own unique experiences for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, they don't. They don't like. I would say the theater's done a pretty good job in keeping things pretty controlled, but it's not fun when you can only find that literally every movie is like sold out because they can only fit like 25 people in the theater. So like, right. 
Yeah, and so it's weird to hear like movies like Promising Young Woman that you wouldn't think would be a best, uh, like a sold out movie, but they're like, oh yeah, it's sold out because in the smallest theater, which, and the 25% of that theater is like 15 people. And so like it fills mm-hmm. up. Yeah, right. But I would love to see King Kong versus Godzilla in theaters. That's still my hope one day. Well, I'm going to have some things to say about that because I <laughs> did watch that, but not in theaters. So let's, uh, I'm going to just pass it off to you and let's kick into this. But I just want a quick, a quick um, just note for the listeners. So it's been a while since we recorded one of these last. So we're, we're covering like a larger span of time. And that's why we're going to basically do this in two parts and then just end it. Um, so... We'll see. I, I don't know. I've got mine pretty damn condensed, so I don't know. Maybe we can do this in one and call it. I don't know about you. Well, I think depends on really what, uh, how, out of curiosity, how long is your list? Uh, just to compare it to mine. Like. Oh, I don't know. I, I just, I have like a master list and I just like put a bunch of asterisks, uh, marks next to the ones that I wanted to act, like actually focus Same. on. Same. But, yeah. I, I'll probably have some that I'll like mention in like a hot second. Like, yeah, that was good. Probably won't see it again, but it was good. But then I, I like you. I do have this, the asterisk. So maybe this will be nine. I don't know. I don't know if we'll need the, I like, I like 10, but maybe this will end up being nine. Um, and that's okay. So let's go ahead and just kick right off into it with you. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. A couple of movies that I've, uh, would say I saw since the last, uh, quarantine watch list is, I've been trying to rewatch a lot more classics that I have not seen in a long time because I noticed uh, at the end of 2020, my biggest trend was I watched new movies, which is great, but I kind of felt like, you know what? It seems about due time for me to revisit some of my quote unquote favorite movies. And I'm wondering, will they still hold up as my favorite movies? And so one I recently rewatched after maybe 10 years having not seen it. Uh, which I was very like shocked by, like, oh wow, for a movie that claims one of my favorites, I have not seen that in a long time. Uh, but it's Billy Wilder's *The Apartment* with Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, it's a uh, it's one Best Picture in 1960, Best Director, Best Screenplay, nominated for Best Actor and Actress. Uh, I think it should have won both those categories that year. Um, but like, it's just such a good film. It still holds up, thankfully. It's a great uh, like comedy drama dramedy romantic comedy that literally is so well broken up into these almost vignettes. Well, I'll start off as a comedy, then I'll merge into a dramedy, then a drama, and then end in romantic comedy. So it does a really good job in balancing the tones and of like these different genres. And I always worried that like Billy Wilder would kind of be like Neil Simon where they almost don't age well. They're almost so uniquely of a time in a certain place that they're almost like a time capsule versus like they feel relevant in today's like, like no one now talks like a character in Neil Simon play, but Billy Wilder, I would say like, he still kind of has like that, like New York focus. Uh, I would say a lot of the characters feel like present. They don't feel like cartoon cutouts of the era that that they're from. Uh, and I love right. Jack Lemmon. He's one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite classic actors, and so I always enjoy seeing uh, him in a movie. Yeah, have you seen it before? The, the Apartment. It's yes. Um, it's been a really long time. Like I don't even really remember it that well. But yes, I have. Like I remember watching it as a kid on like TCM, mm. uh, like at my my grandmom's house. Um, 
But yeah, I, v- I vaguely remember it. Yeah, I, and I've always been a huge fan of Billy Wilder. Like he was the first like director that I intentionally sought out to finish his filmography. Uh, when I found out that they had like a hand library, you can rent all these amazing movies through all the different like colleges. And so all these right. hard to find DVDs or VHS <clears throat> tapes you could like rent. And so I found all these hard to find movies uh, in the classic genre. Uh, so the apartment, yeah, rewatch it, folks. If you haven't seen it in a while, uh, I'm waiting on my Criterion Collection copy of Some Like It Hot, so I look forward to uh, revisiting that one too. Uh, also, same director and Jack Lemmon. Uh, right. Another one that I literally just finished before this podcast was a, the Wachowski's very first movie before they did The Matrix called Bound, and it's this really great like gem of 1996 that a lot of people kind of forgot existed because when we think the Wachowskis, we think of the Matrix trilogy yeah. and like Speed Racer, but like Bound is like a really great freshman effort. Uh, it's you see a lot of like parallels to what they're going to do later on in their careers, uh, and it's such a really well acted and like directed and choreographed uh, like suspense thriller. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it before, it's actually on Amazon Prime right now. So one can watch the Wachowski's very first film. Because before, I thought it was hard to find because I recently got Netflix DVD temporarily for a free trial just to find those movies that I couldn't find anywhere else. Whoa, uh, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm one of those guys where I, I will It's crazy movies. to me that they still even have that. It does. The only bonkers thing is so many of the DVDs they sent me are in such horrible condition uh, that I keep having to like resend them back. They're like really scratched. I gotten cracked DVDs from them. Uh, like you can tell how long they've been in circulation for and how people have probably watched Oh, well, them. yeah, because it's probably at this point, it's not cost effective for them to like, you know, continually replace them because there's probably, oh my gosh, I would love to know the numbers of people that actually saw that service. Oh yeah, what's wild is Jimmy like, Levins I, and twenty five other people in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's weird is like uh, I have a queue of all the films that I want to rent potentially, just so I have an archive of okay, if I can't find this anywhere else, even on like iTunes or like Amazon to rent, like there's Netflix DVD that has it, so I'll like rent that. Uh, they have such few copies, like maybe one or two in circulation, that there'll be like a month or two month waiting list uh, because there's like only one copy because of this current problem where a lot of movies uh, are no longer being updated to Blu-ray or high resolution or like newer DVDs. So like some of these films probably haven't been released since like 2005. Uh, so yeah. like for instance, Catherine Bigelow's film Strange Days, you can't find it anywhere. You have to basically go on uh, Netflix DVD or buy it on eBay for like 30 bucks. For I was gonna DVD. say, yeah, secondary market. Yeah, wow. so like. Yeah, and so my hope is like with all this people like wanting to almost like hold on to physical media in this realm of like streaming that I'm hoping that like there's like a, um, a boutique DVD companies like Olive, Arrow, Criterion Collection, uh, Shout Factory uh, is going to be like, and they already are like, you know, like steaming uh, through with like bringing back these films that are like kind of got lost. But there's so many issues with like uh, ownership and like uh, licensing that the hoops to jump through to get that permission to re-release a movie. Uh, so like, yeah, I feel like I've been down this little rabbit hole of like Netflix DVD to figure out like where can I find these movies. It's like the the uh, what's the term? It's like the um, the high of the search or something like that. Like it's like the pursuit, of the, like the hunt. 
Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I totally. since we lost all video stores, I'm like, well, where can I find these like obscure movies that only ha- are on like DVD or something like that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bound, folks. Like, if you want to watch a great like freshman effort, the Wachowski siblings watch uh, Bound on Amazon Prime. Uh, and then another film I just finished uh, last night actually was uh, John Waters' Pink Flamingos, uh, notoriously known for its like. Uh, like midnight screenings in the 70s. Uh, Divine like eats a dog poo in the movie, uh, supposedly. Um, but the movie is just batshit bonkers. And I'm just sitting there, eyes aghast, and I'm like, oh, wow. Because the trailer for the movie, when they were promoting it, New Line refused to show any content, any clips of the movie. So the entire trailer for Pink Flamingos was just people in the audience reacting. Kind of like what you see now with like, uh, some of the early, um, some of the early like uh, Bloomhouse horror movies, where you don't really see clips, you just see kind of like people coming out of the theater being like, "Oh man, that was an insane experience." Uh, and like, and I don't even know how to describe Pink Flamingos in a very short excerpt. It's it's an experience, and be prepared to have your jaw unhinged and dropped. <laughs> uh, I don't think John Waters is for me. I'm not quite the audience for his films, but I do plan to watch a couple. Uh, they're definitely for those who either have good taste or bad taste. Uh, um, yeah, that's yeah. that's the weird like intersection of like, is this highbrow because it's like experimental art, or is this lowbrow because it's so insane and like off-putting? It's well, that it, weird like intersection. Yeah, and I think now we're so desensitized now where, like, if we were in 1970s, just now watching a John Waters film would be, like, shocked and aghast. But, like, now, I mean, with the internet and YouTube, like, we've seen so much weirder shit. You're like, I've seen people eat shit so many times. (laughs) It doesn't bother me anymore. There is, like, one scene that I feel like... (laughs) There is one scene in Pink Flamingos where I'm like, okay, I've never seen that in a movie before, but I'm not going to reveal it because it is... It's very difficult to describe without me feeling uncomfortable talking about it. <laughs> All right. That's fair. But yeah, no, it, it was a fun movie. It's another find I found on Netflix DVD because there aren't that many copies in circulation. Like the library doesn't have it. Even my friends who are SOU students who have access to Hannon, I used to ask them like, hey, can you rent these movies for me? Like, and I'll return them back to you when I finish them. And they don't even have it there. So it's been yeah. kind of. Yeah, so I have this long list of movies that I'm going to try watching while I have a free trial run on Netflix DVD. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so those have been the ones I just finished recently. Okay. So I, I'm going chronological order. Um, I'm not going to say too much about this, but it was just something I wanted to note that it was it was on the watch list because I we had talked about it in a prior uh, episode, the uh, mm-hmm. best of, and I looped this in, but I, I watched... Um, Parasite for the first time earlier this year and talked a lot about it. It's an amazing film. Pure cinema. Great stuff. I, around that time, I also watched um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Fincher version. Had never seen it. Um, I'm a huge Fincher fan and just that's just one that I, that eluded me. Um, I thought that was a really, really good movie. I don't know if it gets enough credit in his like filmography. 
I think, you know, everybody's go-tos are, <clears throat> are Fight Club or The Social Network or Seven or and now Mank. But it's, like, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like, I actually think it's underrated in terms of, like, his directorial output. Um, like, there's some really good stuff in that. It's, I mean, I was kind of prepared that I'd heard, like, this is a really fucking gnarly movie. And in terms of, like, sexual violence and stuff like that, which uh, I am very squeamish with. Um, I can watch, you know, gnarly horror movies where people are getting decapitated and no big deal. But I, I'm, I'm very squeamish with, with sexual violence. It's, it, it makes me uncomfortable, but, you know, it's um, as it should. And I, that movie's very graphic in that regard. Um, and I, I don't think that's a secret, so I don't I don't think that's like a spoiler per se if you haven't seen it. But I, uh, I think that's like Fincher really just like fully like clicked into like the, the stuff that he's really good at, you know, in terms of like the editing and the the color correction and the cinematography. Like it's, it's just a really, I think well executed film. Uh, Daniel Craig is, I think really interesting in, in that movie. It's like, it's a, I love like his weird roles that he's done in between bond films because they're like, he, it seems like he chooses characters that are like just decidedly different than, than James Bond. And I actually think it's a, it's a good move. So he doesn't like get completely, you know, typecast as like, oh, well, he's Bond and he's only Bond. Um, and I mean, because let's be honest, that's happened to a lot of the other James Bonds. And it, you know, it's if it would there was a long period of time for each of those guys to like be able after they stopped playing Bond to kind of like shed that like Pierce Brosnan. I, I don't I think people were still like viewing him as James Bond for quite a while, you know, and then he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to be in Mamma Mia to like, <laughs> to, yeah. to not, to not be James Bond anymore and stuff like that. Like now, so he's done these kind of like very different roles, but I think Daniel Craig was smart in, and just kind of, uh, in every other film he does, it's a very different role. Um, Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I, I really liked him uh, in Growth of Dragon Tattoo as well because I feel like the the curse of James Bond for some of those actors is almost like we associate, because like James Bond is a look and a persona and a presence. And it almost like, I think this is why maybe Sean Connery could break away from that while like Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore uh, or even like Daniel Craig are like, Finding a balancing act, I think Dylan Craig's doing a better job, is almost like, I think they almost need to get rid of the sex appeal. They almost need to break away from really what we perceive of them as James Bond. Like, if they still look like James Bond, but they're playing a different, like, personality type, I think us as an audience have a hard time, like, slowly chipping away. While, like, say, Sean Connery, he got bald, he grew facial hair, he took on different parts, so we kind of easily forget that he was James Bond because we saw him as newer characters. Yeah, I mean, he, he was still, like, obviously, you know, to the day that he died, it was synonymous with James Bond, and it will always will be. But, oh, yeah. yeah, so I, I think that Daniel Craig has has been smart with, you know, doing movies like 
Logan Lucky and um, Knives Out or this movie where, you know, like I would say like his character in this movie is maybe like the closest to Bond. Like, you know, I mean, he's just he's an investigative journalist, but like there's since this is kind of like a mystery, like it's there could be some parallels, but he's so he's so flawed in different ways than James Bond is because James Bond is yes. very flawed. But um, the the Blomkist character is is very it's gritty. And I think that's what I like about this movie. It's 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 extremely gritty. Oh, um, yeah. And I also really loved Rooney Mara um, as the Lisbeth character. She was really great. And because that's such like a, uh, an eccentric sort of um, idiosyncratic character. And I, I haven't seen the, um, the original film. I want to check that out now that I've uh, seen this. But I was glad that I finally watched it because I think that it's... Um, not talked about enough in terms yeah. of Fincher's output. What's remaining in Fincher's canon have you not seen yet? Let me see here. Oh, I suppose I've got IMD yeah. pulled up. IMDB yeah. pulled up, so let's just actually just look rather than yeah. me try to think about that. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> yeah, because Alien 3, 7, The Game, uh, Zodiac, Social Network... Fight Club. Um, let's see. Gone Girl. Mank. I haven't seen the game. The Panic Room. I've seen Panic Room. Um, so the game. It's the only th- like in terms of like his full length motion pictures. Um, because I know he's done a lot of like music videos and like I'm not counting that. Um, but yeah, so just the game. Nice. Yeah, no, I'm glad you watched like a girl's dragon tattoo because I am a huge fan of those books. Like I was obsessed with those when they came out when I was in high school, uh, read them all, uh, didn't see the foreign versions that came out first, but like the movie itself, I think is a great blend of perfect director for subject matter. Kind of like with gone girl where like, yeah. The, the book itself is so stylized and focusing on little things like tone and and Fincher's collaborators do like you've mentioned do such a good job in like complementing uh, the subject matter. Uh, I think I would say though like I was a little unsure of how I felt about the movie when it came out uh, because it did take a lot of liberties away from the book. But in terms See, of yeah, like, I, I haven't read the book, so I, I don't have any perspective. And I, that's the thing is like I think in terms of realization of like this world that they made, they threw they knocked it out of the park. I don't agree with some of the decisions they made that differed from the book, but yet I think it maybe I'm not quite sure if they even thought like would this be a one and done because they were going to do sequels now they're not. So it's like at its own thing now versus like a trilogy. Well, there, ha- like, there has been sequels not done uh, by David Fincher, but. But in terms of like the, the plan originally was Dave Fincher was supposed to do the sequels. Okay, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. Yeah, and so like uh, that's why they were ha- they had to uh, basically. So you're saying there isn't like a good continuity to the film sequels then? Well, it make well the thing is with the whole Claire Foy jumping in as the character of Elizabeth Salander was that right. whole thing was I there was like a rights thing so they couldn't redo uh, the other two movies so they had to basically do the other ones. Uh, so like oh, that's right. why. 
and girl, the girl, uh, the girl who in the spider's web like bombed so horribly that they decided to drop any other future adaptations. Uh, uh, I see. So moving on. Um, I also watched the, uh, Disney Pixar film brave for the first time. Um, Ooh. or actually I had, I had seen it, but like, I, I don't know. It was a situation where like I was, I don't know. It was just not a good viewing experience. And like, it, I, I only kind of saw parts of it. So I didn't, I don't really count it. Um, I liked it. I think it is like on the weaker side of Pixar's output. I think it's, it's cool. It's fun. It has a good message, but I think they have films that do all that way better. And I think when they're at their best, it's really like, you know, aggressively pulling on your heartstrings and the movie kind of does, but like, you can't tell me that has like the same emotional quality as like up or Wally or Coco. Um, it just doesn't. Uh, so yeah, it was good. I, the, the animation was really cool. I think it's like, it's slightly different than, there are other films. Um, it's like, I really liked the textures of it. Like the texture of like the character's hair and stuff is really well done. Um, but yeah, glad that I, that I like watched it with completely fresh eyes and, um, enjoyed it for what it was. Oh yeah. That's such a Rocky history too. Like out of all productions of Pixar movies, that one and the good dinosaur had the roughest. Oh, Uh, I didn't, I don't know anything about it. Oh yeah. Like there is, like uh, once you finish, little I'll probably share some stuff with you later. But there's like this whole theory I have about how basically every Rocky production of a Pixar movie that has multiple like hands in the pot that keeps getting shuffled around, different voices. In the end, when they don't know what to do with it, they always repeat the same like story plots where it's always about a character transforming to gain new perspective, or like like you even see a little bit of that in Soul because once you find out how many different people were involved. Uh, how many directors were given inherited the project? How many writers had to step mm. in? And I think Brave is one of the weaker uh, like links because they literally had a director shift in post production to where the movie that the f- director originally wanted to come up with was nowhere near what the final product was. Oh you know, wow! Hmm. It this is just my gut feeling, but it came off like they didn't know what to make of it or what to do with it, so they just went back to a typical brother bear kind of plot device. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. 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 And so like, and I don't know, I'm with you there. It's so not the best Pixar film, but there's a lot of nice like qualities to it. I personally was very, felt the trailer was very misleading because I was hoping it would have been like a, like the Scottish games where like uh, the woman has to compete to earn her title of becoming the next uh, Royal throne holder, uh-huh. kind of like a, like a Mulan kind of like, that was my hope. And I'm like, Oh, these magical characters is going to be like a Miyazaki film. And so I did like that there's a mother-daughter relationship uh, that that had a different like take on it, but I just can't, cannot stop thinking of Brother Bear the entire time I was watching Brave. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. I, during this time period, and I, I, I think I'm, I might've started it last year, but I don't know. I've been, uh, Heather and I have been, working on watching the Sopranos for the first time. And I, I can't remember if I had mentioned that on a previous quarantine watch list, but so I wanted to mention it, um, on this one. And it's kind of interesting. I know like it was, I, I'm really late to the party, but, um, 
it's man that show still holds up like there's a few you know like few content things and a few language things that you're like boy that's <laughs> that would not fly today you know like there, there's a few things that are a product of you know like it's time of like starting in the very late 90s and going through like the early 2000s but in terms of just like what has been written man a lot of it still holds up like it's just a really really well written show and like wonderfully acted and wonderfully just um like the, the show running was really 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 flawless i'm still working on it like i, I think oh boy i think we're, I'm, I'm in season two or three i can't quite remember yeah there's um, like six seasons i believe like they do like a two-parter option kind of like with breaking bad yeah yeah i think so uh it's it's just so like so flawless it's oh man and it's I think what's great about it is that you you come for the gangster shit, you stay for the family drama and the exploration of the lead character's mental health issues. And I like especially for the time, like this show's kind of like ahead of its time because like they were getting into some stuff that like really wasn't quite normalized especially like and then putting it like through the lens of like a like a gangster show um so like i I think it's like it's pretty pretty ahead of its time because like just that premise like oh you know mob boss uh you know starts having mental health issues and seeks therapy like that sounds like something that'd be written now like not you know oh hey we're bringing this to hbo in 1999 um, just because like, I don't know, like mental health issues were just so still not normalized at that point. Um, mm-hmm. and it's way more so now. So a- in that regard, I think it was ahead of its time, but it, it's, I think if that would have been just a straight up gangster show, it would have not been as, you know, widely praised as it was and like considered mm-hmm. like one of the greatest shows of all time. I think it would have burned out quick and fast. Oh, yeah. And the 90s themselves were kind of like this decade of deconstructing the gangster genre, because we see like from The Godfather, of course, like there's a lot of glamorizing of that culture and society. And then you see things like Goodfellas or Casino or a lot of like latter like Scorsese films or even in some ways like some of the other like not so Tarantino gangster one offs, but like that whole late 90s. Uh, like wave of like gangster flicks that are about characters you don't typically see, uh, but also the de-glamorizing of that, how these guys are basically a bunch of like flawed, traumatized murderers uh, who are basically trying to like keep their work life separate from their family life. And and I'm with you there. I think Sopranos was, if it was just like a feature film, I don't think it would have been the same, looked at the same way either. Yeah. But I think that's where I around the time when people are realizing, oh, here is the strength of long form storytelling uh, to really build out character development. And this was like, I think the, not necessarily like the heyday of like HBO, but it, it was like the start of their shows that would make them synonymous with like great drama. Like I think it was yeah. the late nineties, you have The Wire starting, you have Oz starting, you have like Soprano starting. And that was kind of like the wave of like, almost not art house television. Away, yeah yeah totally and you know it's um i think the other thing that's just 
really fascinating about watching that show is I, I love it when you're watching either, yeah, a, either a show or a film and you you're seeing an actor play a character and it's it's that you have that realization of like oh my gosh this person was born to play this character and like James Gandolfini is like was born to be Tony Soprano you know very much like Brian Cranston as Walter White it's uh you know and, and I mean there's a downside to that for the actor like that's kind of what you're most well known for and I mean I, Brian Cranston I think has been able to grow out of that but like James Gandolfini was like, you know, I think he was kind of pigeonholed at, 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 you know, of course he had, you know, his life was cut short, but, um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I like, he didn't get to do much that was like on the level of Sopranos outside of Sopranos. So anyways, but I'm, I've, I'm loving that and I'm, uh, we're working on it kind of, you know, slowly, like we watch like an episode a week, um, but it's uh, it's great. I love it. And I'm going to mention one more before I um, actually I'm going to do two more because I'm going to mention one that you and I have both watched. But we did a whole podcast on it, so we don't need to get too far into it. But um, <laughs> I wanted to mention that. Um, and this was one also this movie. We talked about it with our best of uh, last year lists. So I don't want to get too far into that, but the sound of metal, um, watched that earlier this year. That is, a incredible film. I think it was probably one of my top two, three favorites, probably top two. I think I'd maybe put this and Judas and the black Messiah, which I'll mention later. Um, kind of, probably neck and neck, but it was just an extremely powerful film, extremely well done. And I loved everything about it. And then I also, during this period, watched all of WandaVision, which is, I loved there. If you want to hear Jimmy and I's thoughts on that at length, we did a, a two part review on the whole entire uh, season, but was definitely like one of the most original things that, um, the MCU has done. So I loved it. And I think that's a good transitional one back to you because we both yeah. watched that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought up sound of metal. Cause I, I was really, uh, I was working really hard to see all the best picture nominees before the Oscars, uh, a few weeks back and sound of metal was a big surprise. Like I did not expect to get all the words that it got, uh, anything that it won rightfully deserved. Um, he was my pick for best actor if I were given a ballot to vote for, uh, even though Anthony Hopkins also deserved uh, the win that he got as well. It was a very hard year for nominees. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, I know we're going to see a lot more uh, from uh, from like those like the cast members because like uh, there was a lot of nuance to the part because not only did uh, I almost said Rami Malek, but I'm like, wait, that's the wrong actor I'm thinking of. Uh, Riz Ahmed. Thanks, Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. Like, uh, Riz Ahmed, like, had a lot to juggle because, like, not only learning how to play the drums, which I was surprised that music, this is not necessarily was, like, the main forefront of the story. Like, it didn't, there wasn't, like, a whole, like, oh, we're going on tour, we're going to, like, party at, like, concerts kind of story, and then delve into the becoming deaf and delving into deaf culture. But, like, really, it's it kind of jumps right uh, into, like, 
the the death part of the story like rather quickly. Uh, Which I think that was a good move because otherwise I think you're right. It's like, oh, this is a music movie. This is a a touring, you know, band movie. And I I think that was they were smart to make that more secondary. Yes. And like and on top of that, like I would say like my friend uh, Hunter who worked who worked in disability services, he does a lot of work with uh, students. Uh, students who have mental disabilities. Uh, he speaks ASL. Uh, and so he's works a lot with deaf community members. And so he was very excited by how much uh, work was done to include other people in the story development, the ensemble, the casting. Uh, Paul Ritchie, who played the supporting uh, like a- uh, actor who, uh, who was kind of his mentor, uh, even though he is here, he's able to hear, he grew up with deaf, two deaf parents. So like he grew up basically being very involved in the community. Um, and he's like a legit uh, ASL musician. Did you know that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was He was also in the earliest uh, stage performances of Children of a Lesser God uh, that got later adapted with uh, William Hurt in the, the part. So like he was always like doing, he's like a very much a veteran like stage and uh, film actor who I've never really recognized at anything until now. And now I'm kind of like, wait, what else has he been in? And then you look and he was like, oh, he's been that bit part in all these like, big 80s and 90s movies and TV shows that were like, oh, right, he's that guy. Um, and like, you know, I'm very happy with Sound of Metal. And I found out recently that Amazon Studios has a deal with Criterion Collection where a lot of these like films on Netflix that are exclusives or like Amazon Prime originals, uh, there isn't really a DVD release. So Netflix has this, uh, Netflix as well as Amazon Studios has this deal with Criterion Collection to release some of their like bigger prestige films. So Sound of Metal, uh, the documentary Time, as well as uh, One Night in Miami are getting like a special like Criterion Collection, uh, like uh, uh, release work. Oh, cool. Uh, so we'll, we should see like an amazing cover art Blu-ray release of Sound of Metal. Sweet. Yeah. But no, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a really good movie. Uh, that was definitely in my top 10. Uh, I'm still, I keep shifting around my top 10 lists. It's never solid ever. Because uh, my my one always moves down or up based on really how my mood is. My uh, I I just kind of pitched it down into top three. I think my top three were Mank, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Sound of Metal. Um, yeah, I know. I had a hard time even picking like what my top three would be because it's kind of like I said, my mood keeps changing. I keep seeing a movie that I'm like, oh, that one's really good. Yet I feel like. I would have loved it more if I saw it in the theater, which I feel like there was an impairment to me experiencing it. There's that whole thing. Um, but like, well, I'm going to get into that. I just watched a movie. (laughs) It'll be towards the end of my list that, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Oh yeah. One movie though, that always remained in my top five was the animated film Wolf Walkers. Uh, that was like nominated for best animated feature. And I think it should have won. Uh, Uh, the one on Apple plus, right? Yes, uh, gotcha. but like, yeah, and they. Re- I just got that because I I just bought a Mac, and so like I got a year free. So I, I'm curious to watch some of the stuff on there. Their their content list is yeah. It, it's I don't like I would never want to pay for it. Oh yeah, no, and like uh, and most uh, of my friends I'll, I'll like, reap the benefits for a year. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Like because yeah. they're very much like like any other like streaming service that is just budding. They have like a lot of like big A listers in like moderately well-reviewed shows. Uh, but then they then they get a few like prestige movies just to kind of add to their like 
yeah. uh, add to their assault, their uh, weaponry. And Wolfwalkers and On the Rocks were kind of like their first two like Oscar-y purchases. Uh, and I love both films. Uh, I talked about On the Rocks, my top uh, best of 2020 list. Uh, and uh, that's a Sophia Coppola comedy with Bill Murray. Uh, but Wolfwalkers is part of a Irish folklore trilogy where uh, it's still hand-drawn animation. Uh, right. his, the first installment was Secret of Kells. Second one was Song of the Sea. And the new third one is Wolfwalkers. And each one of them is just such a beautifully animated uh, like uh, work and film. Uh, the voice acting is great. The score is great. The way they do like animation transitions and movements is so fluid and like... I don't know how they did it. It's just the fact that it's all hand-drawn is just awe-inspiring. And Wolfwalkers is very much a familiar story, uh, not necessarily in like the whole Avatar Dance with Wolves approach, but there is that whole uh, someone out, who's an outsider uh, is told their entire life that, oh, the wolves are the enemy. Don't go into the forest. Be afraid of the wolves. And then she meets someone who's in the pack who finds out, oh, they aren't what we thought we were. So there, that whole notion of a lot of people would now say that narrative as the going native approach uh, coined after Dance with Wolves came out in 1990. But I would say this one is just the whole like going through life with a new perspective and understanding mm -hmm. prejudice and kind of where it stems from. Because it's all set in this like almost medieval Irish town and like who's fending off the wolves as the city is like expanding further and further into the forest. Uh, and the wolves are basically attacking all the lumberjacks who are like cutting down the trees and like deforest, deforesting the forest. So there are a lot of Hayao Miyazaki themes regarding like capitalism and deforesting and like nature and like balancing of society with nature. And mm. I love Miyazaki films. So that's kind of where that kind of caught my interest. Sure. Yeah. And, but Wolfwalkers, I think, was one of the best animated movies. I love Soul and Glad Soul won. Uh, like, but I just felt like for, for me, like in terms of like, I would say I, I left Wolf, Wolfwalkers like just jaw dropped. Uh, and so that was in my top five for 2020. Hmm. Uh, love that movie. So if anyone wants to see a great anime movie, watch Wolfwalkers. Uh, another one that I saw, uh, kind of, I would say I kind of felt very retro doing this where my friends and I went to a cabin and we rented like a bunch of VHS tapes. Because uh, we were like, because it only had a VHS. Wait, tape. where did you rent VHS tapes? Oh, did I say rent? I meant buy. <clears throat> I mean, we, we found a Goodwill in like. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad you're saying you Goodwill because then my next question would be like, okay, where did you buy VHS tapes? <laughs> okay, yeah, found a because, Goodwill. Yes, we got my Goodwill. And because this cabin we rented only had a VHS player and a VHS rewinder. And we're like, well, shit, we can't like, uh, we did bring a Blu-ray player, but we're like, you know what? It's like ten, it's like ten VHS tapes for fifty cents. Let's buy some VHS tapes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and yeah. It was kind of like a, like you know when you <clears throat> buy like a geocache, you like take something and you put something back. We kind of applied that logic to the cabin we rented, where we add VHS tapes to its uh, like selection that they have for anyone. Who oh, so you that. so you left them? Yeah. Nice. And like, yeah, and so because there was like a five cents for one of them. I'm like, I don't, it's fine. Like, and so I watched speed for the first time on a VHS tape. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. TV. <laughs> that is great. I got, and I did, and I did edibles while I was watching it for the first time. <laughs> <year>. <laughs> that's amazing. I know. And I, that's no, kind I of a fucking intense movie to be on edibles and I know. watch. Jeez. I know. Louise. I, well, I just fell asleep because I rarely <laughs> just fell asleep. 
<laughs> I fell asleep. So I rewatched it sober the next morning because uh, I forgot how it ended. And I was like, wait, what happened with Dennis Hopper? And everyone's like, yes, this whole scene happened. Like, I have no memory of that whatsoever. So like, because uh, I rarely oh, smoke. Man. So whenever I do smoke or like try edibles, I just fall asleep. Like no matter really what, <laughs> up or a downer, like it doesn't matter. I just fall asleep. So oh, well, that's, that sounds good because it, some edibles, you. I mean, that could have been very scary. I know. Yeah. Well, like it was my... Uh, the, the one of my buddies who's very casually a stoner and he loves edibles so much. He'll he'll pick <clears> the weirdest <throat> movies to get high to, where like he would always like bring like an edible chocolate or do a hit, and we like watch some random weird movies. Like I, he got high before he saw The Way Back, the alcoholic drama in, at Tinseltown. Yeah, uh, a very sad movie to want to get high to. Or he when we saw yeah, that's about, weird. When we saw Battleship Potemkin at the outdoor Brit screening, he got really high for that. And I'm like, this is like a silent Russian movie. Why do you want to get high for this? <laughs> Dude, like, that's, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and so we have this like running joke where whenever we recommend a movie, we tell him like, Rob, don't get high to this. Like, and so I, and he and I are in letterbox. And so if I'm reviewing a movie at the very end, I'm like, Rob, don't get high to this. Like, because he'll, he has this uh, really that's bad- funny. <laughs> and he'll always text me. And it's like, I saw your review. You're right. I shouldn't get high and watch, uh, uh, I'm thinking of ending things or, uh, or like it, it, he, he's just a funny dude. Um, but like, and so I did edibles and did watch speed and it's a fun movie. It, yeah. it, it kicked in near the end. So I could remember the first half very well. Uh, it's such a well technically choreographed film kind of like, in yeah, the, the stunts way. are awesome in it. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be directed by, uh, John, John, John McTiernan, who directed uh, Die Hard and Die Hard 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like he dropped out. And so the cinematographer who did Die Hard directed Speed. And mm. so you see that logic of like uh, how to shoot action sequences is like they yeah. follow the same kind of language and rhythm. Yeah, but, that was like ahead of its time for this the stunts too. I remember that like they did it for that time. They did a bunch of cool like cutting edge sort of stunt work in it. Oh yeah. And and on top of that, like a good action thriller is like, you know how it's going to end, but you kind of, but you still get invested the entire time where, you know, they're probably going to get off the bus. You know, Keanu Reeves is probably going to win yet the whole time. They do a really good job in manipulating you through cutting visuals, score, sound design. Mm -hmm. And this is very much a good Keanu Reeves casting where he has been in some bad movies like the, uh, Coppola Dracula movie or the much to do about nothing. Wait, you uh, don't like the, the Coppola. I like Dracula? them. But I, don't, I don't like him in it. Like, Oh uh, yeah. His British accent is terrible. He should know, never do a British accent ever. He, he also does a British accent in the, that much to do about nothing adaptation yes. that he's in like him yes. and Denzel Washington. Oh, I love Denzel too. And, but, and I love Keanu, but Oh God, they, they should never do British accents. It's I know. And horrible. like, and so Keanu Reeves is one of those guys where if he's shot well or given good material, where he can he is a good actor. Yes. If you're someone that knows how to shoot him, because like there is that whole notion of like an actor should know how to act the camera, but also a cinematographer and director should know how to like best uh, film their actor. And yeah, so yeah, Keanu Reeves is one of those guys where like whether it's John Wick, Speed, um, uh, like there's they know really how to kind of play his best angle. Uh, and of course, Sandra Bullock in the nineties. Oh man. She is like so attractive in that movie. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. Like, not, like, I, not, I agree with that. Sandra, 
Yeah, ninety percent of Bullock is probably. It's like I mean, she's still attractive now, but like I was going to say, she up, like has barely aged. She, I know, yeah, she looks darn near the same. But I remembered like uh, like in a lot of like nineteen nineties like Sandra Bullock vehicles. Like I was definitely remember having huge crushes on her in all of them. Like uh, and Speed is just a just a really well done movie. It still holds up. Yeah, uh, I think it's funny how I literally made up how it ended in my brain because I fell asleep and dreamed how it ended, and I told my friends that was weird. <laughs> this and they're like, "That never happened, Jimmy." The the, the the edibles wrote the ending for you. Yeah, it did. It did. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> we also bought the other ones. We bought. We also bought the Fugitive, which we didn't watch. Uh, went with Harrison Ford. Yeah, uh, which it's I good I do want to rewatch that one. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, I bought a lesser-known Zemeckis movie called Used Cars. We we basically bought a bunch of random shit, thinking, okay, maybe one of our aunts who rents the cabin after us will watch Funny Girl with Briber Streisand, or maybe yeah. one of my younger cousins who wants to watch this Pixar film of VHS tape. So we got a bunch of random things to appeal to anyone. Cool. But we watched Speed. That's all that matters. That's all uh, that matters. Exactly, yeah. And so, like, Speed. Uh, and then uh, I also uh, rewatched uh, Rupa Man the same time at the cabin. Fuck not yeah. On, not on edibles. Uh, that would probably be a bad idea. Everyone else did edibles. That movie's so that movie. surreal. Like, oh, boy. Well, everyone else did edibles and watched that movie, and I'm like, damn it. Uh, Sh- like, uh, shout out to Ashland uh, local Alex Cox. Uh, at that movie, is, it's awesome. I know. it. It is one. If you where, haven't like, seen it, listeners, check it out. It's uh, one of Emilio Estevez's early, earliest roles, and it's it's like a it's a cult classic. At I would say to the to the truest to the truest point, it's a cult classic. Oh yeah, great great eighties time capsule as well. Yeah, uh, and it's one of those movies where it's so idiosyncratic and uniquely original in terms of like there is no movie quite like Group Man that I could tell a lot of my sure what to make of it and also the fact that they decided to get really i get mad when people watch movies uh they haven't seen before high because i feel like i don't want to have to explain didn't you just do that with with speed (laughs) hypocrite hypocrite i knew what i knew how it ended but like i hadn't seen well maybe i don't know i'm a hypocrite you're right yeah uh but like i i just the whole time I had explained to them like what's happening in Aruba Man, and I'm like, why do we pick this movie? We should just watch like Finding Nemo or something more mild that we've all seen <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, that would not be a movie that I would recommend being under the influence and checking out. Um, maybe like you know having some a, a mild amount of drinks too, but I think if you're if you're if you're if you don't have your faculties, that would not yes. be a movie I would recommend. Yeah, be you don't want to be cognitively impaired, especially when yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna try bugging them to rewatch it because I got so annoyed when they gave it all these bad reviews. Like I'm like, you didn't finish it. Like I don't know. That's my biggest pet peeve is when people like don't finish a movie and then give a full review of it. Like, oh no, right? yeah, no, I like, disagree yeah. with that as well. I know, yeah. Like one of my friends did that for a promising young woman. One that I was going to mention next that was nominated. Oh, for well, that's on my list as well. Oh, you saw it too? Okay, good. Because like yes. that, I feel like that's going to be a long conversation movie for sure. Uh, I'm still unpacking a lot of it. Like it's one where I intentionally avoid the trailer. I intentionally avoid it in reviews about it because I could tell that there would be some do it subject matter. There'd be some like mispitching of the marketing uh kind of like what get out did like they didn't, the editings a little the of the trailers were a little misleading to the movie or like the people talked about it was a little misleading and 
not to say that Get Out and Something's Young Woman are the same type of movie, but I felt like they they basically are movies where they're became Oscar darlings uh, who are dealing with very controversial, hard to unpack uh, subject matter. In this case, Promising Young Woman is about like, uh, not only just the Me Too movement, but also really kind of, uh, really just uh, like rape culture as well as like a bunch of other things that it's, I'm still feel like I'm not the best person to delve into a lot of these subjects because I'm still unpacking how I feel about the movie as well as like, I can't, I mean, uh, a lot of other things as well, but like, uh, I'm trying not to give away anything about the movie either, because I would say the best experience of it is to go in blind. Uh, cause now there are all these reviews on social media about deconstructing the movie and the trailer is very misleading to the movie as well. Uh, like literally the movie, like the trailer only pitches the first couple minutes of the movie when I'm like, there's so much more to it than with the trailer. Yeah, I, I went into it only knowing that it had some buzz and only knowing that Carrie Mulligan was in it. Um, so <laughs> by the end of it, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like, that movie was absolutely insane. But I, in a way that I think was really, really excellent. Um, but Holy shit. It's, it's, it's such a dark and, intense movie oh, yes. um and but i i love i i love the the juxtaposition of it because like her character is very childlike in a lot of ways like she this i'm, I'm gonna well i'm gonna tread carefully through this as well her past traumas have stunted her her growth into like um an adult. And I think that's, they, they keep going back to it with like, it's in the title promising young woman at her home life is very, I, d I don't want to get too far into that, but her home life is very much one that like is unusual for someone her age. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I, 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 in today's world, like not so much because a lot of people do move back in with their folks, but like, I do get what you mean. Exactly. No, but, but no, but think about, no, no, no. Just like the production design, like her bedroom is like a bedroom of a, of a like teenage oh, yes. girl and, and her like, wardrobe too, her clothing, her choice of clothing and her relationship with her parents. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, but her relationship with her parents is also like, it is not one of a 30 year old woman and her folks. It's definitely one of like more a woman that's in her late teens, early twenties at best. Um, They're like st stuck in time from like, from, from like right. the day it happened. So, and then to like compound that, like the production design is very, very like colorful and kind of, Adolescent, I would say, is maybe a, a good way to describe it, like, at, at times. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. There's just this, like, really interesting juxtaposition. Also with, like, comedy. Like, the, I would say this is, like, you know, uh, a revenge thriller, but then it's also a dark comedy. Like, there's some really dark, like... Oh, yeah. 
comedic parts in it. Um, my one complaint, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a, a complaint on it. I think there's some miscasting in this. I, I know what you're going to say and I'll listen, but I have a defense for what, if I, if I assume what you're going to say. Okay. Um, I don't know if I loved Bo Burnham as his character and I won't really say who he is or what his role is. Cause I, I want people to watch this like, and having not a lot of expectation. Cause I think that that is a better way to approach it. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like he was both good and not good <laughs> in my opinion. Like he was, I, he was a typical casting for that's for sure. Like I did not, I forgot he was even in the movie until I watched it. And I'm like, Oh right. But Burnham is an actor as well, technically. Uh, and I, the casting of all the men seems almost very intentional for me because uh, there was one of them type casting for sure. Well, there's just... also like they also want to take into account how like every man is atypical in the movie. Like they don't have the typical like they don't all look like the hot jock Chad or something like that. Or like they all there's kind of like a spectrum of like the male demographic because I how I interpreted the movie and the casting was uh, kind of like in Get Out. Like it's a satire where every white person, when given the opportunity to take advantage, advantage of a person of color, they will. And the world of promising young woman. Well, and, there, and it's also Get Out is also based in uh, like the magic of Get Out, and I think what you're going to loop it into promising young women is like microaggressions. Yes, like and like, and of course, like these are different, like subtle, subtle, subtle problematic things. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw it with the, with the casting of like all the, every single man is like, you see it like a different type. And in this case, like the, the nice guy, you see the, the nerd that might have a little entitlement because he's the nice guy. You see like the one you probably didn't think was very cute in school, but now he's older now. And now he's a little more like confident and he's going to ask out maybe the popular girl that was in school. Then you see like the, the jock you normally would associate with like, uh, like, uh, these types of situations in like high school or college movies. Uh, and how I interpret it is like in this world, like if a man's in, in a situation like a woman, like in this, in, in how the world presents it. And I saw every single man as almost like a litmus test where each one represents a different spectrum of the type of like encounter microaggression or action. Uh, Cause there is the whole notion of intent versus impact where each one of them doesn't quite see themselves as the villain and didn't intend to hurt someone, yet they left an impression and impact on the lady in question or another woman in question. Uh, uh, I don't know if I I'd agree with that. The- I don't know if I'd agree with that. I, th- I think there's some characters that, like, they... If, if, they're, if, they're claiming, if their claim is that that wasn't their intent, they're... They're lying to themselves. Exactly. They, like, like no one wants to be the villain in the story. They don't see themselves. So that's why I mean, it's like there's a spectrum. To- Cause I don't want to get into it, but there's, there's one character. Um, there's one character that I think definitely has poor intentions mm-hmm. and yeah. just doesn't view what they're doing as, bad 
sense, but I think that's them lying to themselves. A- anyways. You know, and, and, and I think it's, and as I'm kind of talking more about it, like I'm trying to tread lightly because I don't want to give away too much about the movie. Because right. even though we usually do give spoiler warnings, I almost want to not give spoiler warnings of this movie because I think not knowing what the casting is, I think gives a lot more of a like unexpected reaction uh-huh. and creates a lot more provocative conversation. Cause like, there's a lot to unpack. Like uh, I know a lot of my friends who are women saw this movie and said like, oh, tell us what you think when you see this movie because I, don't, I haven't met a guy who's seen this movie yet. Uh, and I would say the movie left me thinking of like, not that I'm the same type as like these men in the movie, but it made me wonder like what conditioning, what, what element of my studies conditioned me to like think this way? Or like, do I know someone that is this way? It makes you kind of think of like how you go about your encounters. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I um so very much I like that you mentioned Get Out because there are some similarities in terms of like it is it is calling out a demographic of people that have oppressed another demographic of people. And if you are if you've happened to fall in the generalized demographic of the oppressor and you're watching this, it's going to make you feel very uncomfortable. And the generalized demographic of the oppressor in this is, is men and men taking advantage and, and, you know, sexually harassing, if not worse women. Um, And like you said, a total wide end of the spectrum of like completely nefarious to maybe this person didn't have the intention of like doing something bad or, you know, that sort of thing. So, but as a straight male watching this, I was like, I just kind of like said it under my breath a few times, like, cause I was watching it with my wife and I was like, Oh, this is bumming me out so bad. Like on being a dude, I, this makes me hate being a fucking guy. <laughs> like, yeah. cause, um, now I think it was like a very accurate representation of a, of a certain number of, of men for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are and, even parallels to like actual cases. Like the, the title itself is a parallel to how like people always say, oh, we can't ruin his life. He's a promising young man. Uh, like, yeah. And so that so the title itself is kind of playing up on that whole like we spend so much time thinking of what will happen to like the man that's accused, but we forget about the woman. Right. And, and, that, and their future. Like, I th- mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so I think. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's where I left the movie thinking is sort of like, how can I be a better better man how can I be a better person and also really how can I have like better dialogue about knowledge about this movie but like how can I like think of like am I conditioned in some way without realizing uh that our society like perpetuates uh because like I don't want to say that I'm not a typical guy guy I mean I grew up around because I feel like I'm not really the best representation of these types of discussion topics because I'm still learning myself I'm still discussing myself and sure I almost would rather have more discussion about the movie uh, if we're going to go more in depth into it, because there are a lot of questions I have that I want to discuss further. So I'm almost hesitant to give my full 
like unpacked theory and like opinion of this movie. Uh, well, all I was going to say yeah. was that um, this movie made me feel so uncomfortable for good reason. Um, just because like, I think if, if you're a man and you watch this and it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, then maybe you need to take a big look at yourself. And even if it does make you feel uncomfortable, you should probably take a look at yourself. And I literally had to have like a, like, uh, a discussion with my wife afterwards. And I was like, just like very candid. I'm like, you know, the entire time I've been dating, I've been very like cognizant of like this, these sort of behaviors and, you know, I, I can wholeheartedly say that I have never in like ever ha- went into any sort of dating or sexual encounter with any sort of like nefarious intentions and always tried to be like respectful and, and, you know, and, you know, always would seek consent. But I literally had to ask him like, since, since we've known each other, like, has there ever been any situation where like I made you uncomfortable or anything? So we had this like long, like fallout conversation about this and like, and you know, I, I won't get into the details of that because like there was some stuff she shared with me that was private and everything um, about her life. And uh, she reassured me that that was absolutely never the case with me, which is, which is great to hear. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I was saying like that just, the, you know, with the, the me too movement, like I think a good thing has been that like it's made me internalize. And cause like, I think that, um, that's a, a, a good byproduct of it is that like people that are, that have some self-awareness are like taking a look at maybe their past behaviors and their, you know, their future behaviors moving forward, but they're like analyzing, Oh, okay. When I was in a, maybe less educated state than I am now or less self-aware state. Did I, did I ever like maybe unintentionally hurt somebody? You know, I think that's a good thing to, to be able to look at yourself and, you know, um, analyze that and pick out any flaws or whatever. I mean, not even just necessarily in this sort of thing. So, uh, I think it was, you know, a successful film in terms of like, it really made you think. And, I um like I said I love the production design like the costuming was was wild and uh the like, soundtrack the music choices were also really good. Yeah, yeah, there were some really really interesting things and I think the one thing that I I really liked about it is we talked about this on this podcast before. I think I'm always going to try to like recommend original films to people, you know? Um, and because in, in a sequel based world that we're living in and a reboot, you know, based world that we're living in, um, original filmmaking is kind of few and far between. So, and it was like, even though there, there was some borrowing from like, like you said, there's some parallels to like get out, uh, it was definitely, I got done watching it. I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, which is, and I mean that in a good way. So. Oh yeah. And it wasn't original screenplay. It was nominated for a bunch of other awards uh, that I, I was definitely impressed to see this movie get so much spotlight in, in a very, like, I would say 
in a, in a world right now during the pandemic when a lot of movies probably didn't get seen that should have been seen or a lot of movies that may have not gotten a fair like uh, marketing campaign. I was very impressed and surprised to see The Promising Woman would get so much attention. Uh, and I'm so glad it did because like it's, it's a rough watch, but I think it's a necessary watch. Agreed. Very agreed. Um, I'm going to jump in here. So, uh, not going to get too far into this. I've mentioned this. This has been like a, a whole through the pandemic, um, journey for me still working on true blood. I'm at the point now where that show has gone completely off the rails and is a disaster. And I love everything about it. It's so trashy and so bad. And it's, and I, and I mean that in the best way possible. It like, How- how much left is there to finish? Are you like near the end right now? I'm like right in a midpoint. I think I'm like season okay. four or five. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a slow burn for you. I think you started right when we started quarantine watch list, yeah, I want to say. Dude, honestly, because we watch maybe like a, an episode a week. Uh, that's right. Again, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's, and because I think I, I couldn't binge that show because it's, it's more enjoyable to me to kind of um, hop in and hop out because it isn't, very good <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Um, but if I just like, if I'm just here for just the insanity of it all, then I really enjoy it. And it's, uh, there, there are some good qualities though. Like the, um, dude, Alexander Skarsgård is the MVP of that show. He, uh, his, his role as Eric Northman and just the way that he played that character I love everything about it. He is such a piece of shit, but he's like, I swear the writers were like, Hey, this is like one of the better actors in the show. Let's like give him all the best lines. <laughs> Cause oh, yeah. his, his lines are so quotable and like, he just cracks me up because he's such a fucking dick bag. And, but he's like so charismatic that like I, he's my favorite character. Um, but yeah, they're, they're getting into like, such crazy stuff and i did you ever have you ever seen that show because i don't want to spoil I, well, it for it was, you oh i mean i feel like i are, i know quite a bit about it because i'd never watched this show you've told me the, the poster story yeah we're like uh when i would live with my uh my last roommate amanda denbeck like would always have that playing in the background like she loves that type of tv show so i would tune in and out i didn't really know what was going on so i'm like i'm not really invested to like watch it but like they would hit this giant poster in her bedroom so can i spoil uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so they've gotten into. I'm just gonna just just throw out some some like some some tropes or types of fantasy characters or monsters. They've gotten into fairies, <laughs> a, a witch, witches coven, um, shapeshifters that are specifically like kind of like werewolves, but like they turn into. Like pan- panthers, no panthers oh, okay. specifically, and there's like a whole group of them. And then when they're Pack in their people. human form, they're they're inbreeders. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's this like, you know, uh, vampire like government hierarchy that you know is exist yeah it's fucking nuts it's so crazy dude it's so crazy and then there's like also like nazi werewolves like there's this line of werewolves that uh, you know stem from uh nazis and so they're like 
white supremacists. So they're kind of, dude, it's so crazy. This is, I would hope that what we do in the shadows season three delves into some of these like themes, uh, honestly, because I feel like everything that you're mentioning True Blood did, I feel like, did we like theorize that that would happen in like the next what we do in the shadows? Because I would, if you, if you did not tell me that was True Blood and told me that's what we do in the shadows, I would believe you 100%. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that they've kind of mildly like taken from shows like that or like the uh, what's that CW one that was like really oh, Vampire big. Diaries. Yeah. I feel like they've kind of already like done mild things to kind of take the piss out of, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's wild. And, and, I, and I feel like they've kind of made like jokes kind of like taking the piss out of like Twilight and stuff. But yeah, I, I would be fine if they went a little harder with that. But anyways, so I had to mention that just because that's kind of been uh, something I've I've been slowly updating uh, the listeners on as I've gone through um, our Quarantine Watch List series. Yeah, yeah. Um, transitioning into I watched the third of the... Uh, the Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright uh, trilogy. The Cornetto uh, the, the, trilogy. The yes. World's End. Um, funny enough, I still haven't watched Hot Fuzz, so I watched, you know, I've seen Strand of the Dead and now The World's End. Um, so, and I think I mentioned this on a prior episode. I'm just going to go ahead and admit this. I, for the longest time, really didn't care for... Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. Like people would be like, Oh my God, shut it. It's like the fucking greatest movie. Oh my God. Scott Pilgrim is such a great movie. I just didn't like him. Just didn't like him. And, uh, I rewatched Shaun of the dead, uh, a while back with fresh eyes. And I was like, you know, this actually has like a lot of good qualities to it. The editing's amazing. And like, it's funny. And I, I really enjoyed it. So then I went back, watched Scott Pilgrim with fresh eyes. I will say, I enjoyed it better. And I, I, the filmmaking like that's done in it, like the craft I can appreciate still would not be one of my favorite movies. It's maybe a little too like video gamey for me. Cause that's not really like a thing I'm crazy into. Um, world's end. I really, really enjoyed it. I don't think it's near as good as Shaun of the dead. And it, it's kind of, you know, it's a silly movie, but it's a fun movie. I think the, the idea is really, really cool and um and i love that that like the switch that happens when when you're like okay this is like a super british kind of friend comedy and then it's just it just goes so gnarly and intense like out of nowhere oh yeah Um, you can definitely see like uh because one of Edgar wright's favorite movies is american werewolf in london and you can totally see like his like love of like that genre tone abrupt shift. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a it's it was a it was a fun watch, and um, so I'm kind of like I'm I'm learning to appreciate Edgar Wright as a filmmaker. I mean, I you know even though I I was not that long ago like not super into his stuff, like you you cannot deny like the smash cut editing that he's known for is like chef's kiss. It's, it's, it's so good. And it's like, it's iconic to him. Oh yeah. Have you seen baby driver? Uh, besides hot fuzz. Uh, I haven't, okay. but I hear that's like a, a must see if, if you like his style of yeah, it's, film. I won't talk too much about baby driver, but it's one of those movies where 
it is like held together by like strings. Not that it's a bad movie, but like if one song they didn't get approval of, the whole movie would have fallen apart because everything is so well written and choreographed around like this playlist that if one song oh. like didn't, so like that's the only thing that falls apart in a lot of Egg Wright movies is he's so dependent on like, like he has to write this scene around this song. It has to be done this way. But then I kind of love that though. Exactly. Like, There's so much intent. Like, and, but like, Baby Driver is basically, it's a feature length, like Spotify playlist with like characters. Like, that's huh. literally how I describe it. It's, it's a, it's a vibe movie, I would say. It's a one you guys cool. just vibe with it. Don't ask me questions, just vibe with it. Take your Jimmy edibles, vibe with it. <laughs> Yeah, I, not, not, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence with edibles. Like, if I did them more, I'd be more desensitized to it. But like, I've been that, I've been that poor schmuck where I love that this are, is now the subtext of this podcast episode. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been that poor schmuck where whenever I'm trying something for the first time, my friends who are like more used to it, they're like, yeah, you can have that much. Uh, and I've had very bad experience with both marijuana because my first experience with the bong was I did four hits the first time. Bro, and, that's yeah. why I was I was reacting the way I did when you were talking about edibles. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think I've had just bad experiences. I've only done them twice, and they were. I, that's a story for another time. But they were yeah. horrible, horrible, scary experiences. Oh. What, yeah. So, once my friend didn't label hard pass. Yeah, my friend didn't label a plate of chocolate edibles, and I had a lot without realizing it. And we watched. <laughs> Classic so mistake. I've, I've been that, and I've never been so like pissed off at a friend. Like, why didn't you label that plate? And he's like, I thought everyone knew. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what, it just looks like chocolate. Uh, and I watched Flubber and things were a little better after that. Like, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna, I, ate a whole, I ate a whole box of Captain Crunch cereal. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that. you, you were doing it then. Uh, I'm going to rattle never off a couple, a couple more here and then pass it back to you. Um, I believe that, I don't know if it's been talked about on this podcast, but I know you and I have mentioned have had a, had a conversation about this in the past. I finally did it. I finally watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the first oh, time wow. ever. Nice. And yeah, I mean, I I, I expected I was going to like it because like I love those types of movies. I love I love that era of filmmaking. I yeah. So I, I I greatly enjoyed it, and I I don't need to say anything that hasn't already been said about that movie. Uh, but I, I really, I really liked it, which is always kind of nice. Cause like it was a big deal. Heather was like really stoked to show it to me. And I think, you know, when you're like showing somebody else, something that's beloved to you and it's just widely considered to be beloved. And if they, the person you're showing it to, if they're just like, yeah, I'm not into it. That's always like such a, <laughs> such a blow. It's such a letdown, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, two more things. I finished the Netflix Daredevil series, finally. I'm late to it, but uh, finished season three. I'm really sad that that show ended, man. I think it like it ended on a high note. Um, I have to still finish Punisher and Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. The other two shows, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, I think ended a little disappointingly, but I but it was very clear that like they didn't know that they were ending. Oh yeah. Um, but wh- where they ended was disappointing. Daredevil felt a little better. Um, and also they didn't know they were ending, but it, it had, it was, it was at a logical point where like the story could stop. So, um, 
But yeah, because I, I really liked those Marvel Netflix shows. And I think the reason that I kind of like got behind on them was because I was really bummed out that um, they all ended. And then like I watched, like I said, Iron Fist and Luke Cage. And it was like, ugh, I didn't love where they ended. So it was like hard for me to get motivated to like finish all those. But I know. But you're right about that, because I know a lot of friends that loved those shows. Uh, and then they got bummed when they found they got canceled, where I'm in that demographic where I haven't watched them yet. And now I'm like, now they're canceled. And I'm like, do I want to feel like, like I, I did, I have seen the first season of like Daredevil and I was like really invested in it, loved it. And I just kind of lost, the, I don't know. I, I like got something happened in life and I just never got, got a chance to catch up in the other shows. And then next thing you know, they're all canceled where I'm like, my mind says, what's the point? Even though I know I should watch them. So, Okay, like I said, I can't speak to the second season of Punisher yet or the third season of Jessica Jones, but the, I'll give you a quick little roadmap. All three seasons of Daredevil, really good. Yes. Great That's stuff. I've heard, yeah. Um, season one of Luke Cage, amazing. Great stuff. Season two of Luke Cage, problems. Personally, I didn't love where it went. And I really didn't love the where it ended, but I I could see that they they were planning on doing more, um, and weren't given that option. Season one of Jessica Jones, amazing. Season two of Jessica Jones, hot garbage. Uh, season one of Iron Fist, rough. Like okay, but there was some rough points. That show grew better in season two, but still was probably like my least favorite out of all the all the you know different individual shows. Defenders, lots of problems. That was the team up one. Lots of problems. Yeah. Not it was way too compressed. Um, Punisher season one, awesome. So that's kind of that's that's my roadmap. I, I okay. still think it, they're worth like watching all of them because they are so interconnected. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Heather works with this gal. It's actually, it's actually her stepsister. Um, and <laughs> for some reason, she like didn't put it together that like that those shows were all interconnected and that there's like a very clear like arc to them. And then you have to you know like it's all you have to do is Google it. Just like yeah. Marvel Netflix like watch order you know so that it has like a chronological flow for some reason she started with like Punisher and then it's like no that's so wrong because like he's introduced in Daredevil season two and like has a whole story arc that like plays into where Punisher starts um and is like so so well done and so well executed so it's like you're missing out so yeah she she was telling heather that she's like oh yeah so i just started daredevil or uh punisher she goes oh okay so did you watch the other ones before she's like no what what other ones (laughs) she had like no idea so then she's just like weirdly like picking and choosing weird starting points for these and yeah because then i think uh if i remember correctly she was saying that she was like watching Iron Fist and didn't really know what to think about it. And then she like randomly decided to go back and watch the Daredevil season that had mm. Punisher in it. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? That's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's all over the place. I know. Uh, I so don't do that. Yeah. Watch it in chronological oh, yeah. order. Yeah. I, I do my research. Like I, I, that's how I love my friends for that way with the MCU movies in their order. Like, uh, cause there is an intentional order for a reason. So I'm very much on that boat. 
And last but not least, I am now on the, um, oh boy, I can't remember what season number it is. I want to say 11 of Doctor Who, but ba basically the first 13th Doctor season. Um, it's, I'm having a hard time getting into it. I By the time Capaldi left, I really liked him and I liked what he was doing with the doctor. It was very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think this is a thing that happens when the, when the doctor changes is it's, yes. it's, it's hard to like completely get used to the new doctor. I feel like the 13th doctor is a little too derivative of 10 and 11 for me though. It's, I, 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 I agree. I felt the same way with every, like, of course I had not seen the newest one, but like I'm with you there where like you see allusions to the other doctors and I just kind of roll with it. Cause I'm like, yeah, they have identity crisis. They probably pulling back from their old like personas, but that does get a little repetitive after a while. If that's the same starting point. Every I, time. I, yeah, I, I get, so there's some things that Jody Whitaker's doing that, that I like, I think more of like the, the problematic stuff about, her version of the doctor, at least where I'm at. I, 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 you know, obviously like I'm, I'm two seasons behind. Um, I think he's more in the writing. Uh, mm -hmm. but I feel like the, you know, kind of like hyper eccentric, um, bright eyed and bushy tailed doctor. Like we've done it, you know, and like we've done the, the kind of darker, grittier, like, doctor we've done the grumpy doctor i i don't know so i i i felt like and maybe maybe she becomes something different because i mean capaldi definitely did there was a really good arc with him because he was so dark and so grumpy at first that I, like when he showed up i was like i do not like this i do not mm -hmm. like this he's so dark he's so grumpy and i like that by the end he had softened but he was still kind of like grumpy old man i, I yeah. it was yeah there was so there's going to probably be an arc with her too that, and, and there might already be one that I'm just behind on, but that's where I'm at right now. I'm kind of like, I'm having a hard time, like getting into her vibe. Um, and I'm also, I, I don't know if I'm vibing with the, the, um, companions yet. I do like that. Like the dynamics are different than, than they have been in the past in terms of like the companions. Um, but, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I really liked, um, I think it's been a long time since there's been, like, great companions. I, I liked Pearl Mackey's uh, Bill character, and I, and I liked that, that you know, they, they did some kind of progressive stuff um, with her being an LGBTQIA plus character. That was cool. I also liked that they didn't have to rely on the a f a female companion being vaguely romantically interested in the doctor. Like that's like we've done that. We don't need to do it again. Um, and so I liked that she was just like, what did she kept calling him? Like her grandpa or like her uncle or something like that. I, I liked that that was the relationship that they had. Yeah. Um, I, I, f I forget. I think I'm not at that point yet. Cause I've, I think I've been out of the loop for a while. Okay. Uh, for Dr. Who. 
So you so you haven't watched all the Capaldi seasons? I think I remember right where I left off at. Like I remembered I was it was the first season of Capaldi and then Oh, like, okay. And then like and then when I think it was when I moved at either I moved into my then apartment or moved out of, I didn't have like that ritual to watch it with someone. Like I had like a roommate that I was watch Doctor Who with and then when either I moved into with Amanda or I moved out of Amanda's place we stopped watching it. So I can't quite remember okay. the timeline. So, so Bill think- Bill is introduced in his last season. Mm-hmm. And to me, I've, I've said this on this podcast before, and I know that it's not a popular opinion. I was not a fan of Clara. And to me, she was a nice like reprieve from Clara because yeah. Clara, I think, was like, I don't know. I just didn't didn't care for her. Um, it's always that awkward time where like the companion transitions with the doctor and they're almost like, they feel like the odd person out. Like they had such good chemistry with one and then they're like, who are you? And like, and I know I, I was always slightly okay with Clara because like, I thought she was like super cute. Uh, and I was just sort of like, yeah, she's pretty. Uh, <laughs> but like, I'm with you there. I didn't quite know really the dynamic between her and Capaldi. It felt almost like, like he's be snapping at her and getting short with her and kind of like, come on, dude, be a little, like be a little easier on her. Like, uh, and then I think I got a little fed up with that dynamic for a while. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's for a longer conversation, but yeah, so that's kind of, that's where I'm at with, uh, Dr. Who and kind of slowly plotting through that. Cause like I said, it's, um, I'm having a hard time, like, getting into the new doctor, but that, that seems to happen every time. The honestly, it's pretty much since Capaldi. That's been the transition. Cause I loved Matt Smith right away. I love David Tennant right away, but I think the David Tennant transition was easier because Chris Eccleston with just only one season. Like I loved him and he's one of my favorite doctors, but like you don't get attached to him as much as you do the other doctors because everyone's played it longer than, than he did. Um, so I think that was why like him to tenant was, wasn't super bad. Um, but I think that they've made like way bigger characteristic jumps as the, as it's gone on. Be- and I, and I think that that seems to be intentional, which is, which is probably smart because, um, and, and, Jody Whittaker is decisively different than Capaldi. But like I said, I, I don't like that the difference is that it's going back to like the well with some characteristics, mm-hmm. but that's just me. Um, I'm going to kick it back to you. Yeah. Uh, a couple that I'm going to jot off were like, as usual, I'm back to my like doing a director's filmography as I've done in the past where like the past uh, episodes, yes. I mentioned, oh, I'm doing the films of John Hughes that I haven't seen. I'm doing the ones of... Uh, what else did I do? Of uh, of uh, Gina Prince Blythewood that I haven't seen, or John Carpenter, uh, or Mike Nichols, and I just I, I would say I'm wrapping up. I just wrapped up the Jonathan Carp- John Carpenter and Mike Nichols canon of their films. Nice. Uh, like for John Carpenter, I found Assault in Precinct 16, They Live, uh, and Escape. What do you from think LA. of They Live? I loved it. Like uh, it's a cool it's, movie. It, well, it's one of those movies where I was so afraid that I would, because there was always so much like conversation and dialogue and hype about it because of how like insane it is. And it's such a bonkers movie. Yeah. And I'm almost kind of like, 
because I know all that going in, will it still be good? And it just was a movie that I just felt like I just got a vibe with it. Don't think too much into it. Just roll with the insanity. And it was a better movie for it. Yeah. Uh, it's such an 80s time capsule as well, where it's a movie that seems almost self-aware of how absurd it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like something pulled out of a Twilight Zone, but injected with like 80s masculine testosterone action hoorah. Uh, yeah. and I dug it a lot. Like, uh, it's one of those movies where I'm like, I'm glad I finally saw it. Uh, they live was great. Can't, can't recommend it more. Assault and pre 16 was a great one too, because, uh, it was just a very early foray for John Carpenter. So you kind of see what he's going to dabble with later. Same thing with, I actually found through Netflix DVD. Actually, I came across his very first movie. He directed it before Halloween, but it didn't, uh, get released to TV until after Halloween. So it was oh. this movie of like, from the director of Halloween, John Carpenter. It was like some ABC or Fox original movie called gotcha. Someone's Watching Me. It's very much like a rear window type premise where it's this woman who constantly is getting these random phone calls from someone and she doesn't know who in her apartment complex it is. And so it becomes like this cat and mouse of like, who is the man that's constantly like invading her home and leaving things behind and leaving phone calls all the time. Uh, not answering them. And and it's very much voyeurism where there's a lots of wandering camera, a lots of like techniques that you see him apply to Halloween, the thing, a lots of perspective gaze, lots of some stuff you see in Hitchcock that he's adopted for sure. Uh, And it's very much a TV movie and it's budget, but for, it's so fun to see the first of any director because you can really see the wealth of stuff they're like mastered you see them become more confident later on and you see them like you're like oh wow he was so confident in this first film uh like so that was a fun little gem but i had to try uh i also watched escape from la because i watched escape from new york last year escape from la is batshit bonkers Uh, i haven't seen that one i've i've seen escape from new york and i love that one same i and escape from la is almost like a it's almost spoofing the type of movie that it is. It has some of the worst special effects I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> yeah, and so I had a hard time vibing with it, but like, it's a, I mean, it's a fun movie. You got some great supporting characters like Steve Buscemi's in it, Pam Greer's in it. Uh, it's got also got like uh, uh, Peter Fonda in it. So it's got a lot of like odd, like ensemble characters. And I don't know, I would say I, I, I enjoy it for what it was, uh, but it was a nice little end book. So I only have two films left to finish off the canon for John Carpenter. I got to find his uh, remake of The Village of the Damned. Uh, and then I also, I'm on the fence of if I'm going to watch it because my favorite podcast, Blank Checks, now doing his filmography. Uh, uh. And so I'm like thinking maybe I'll watch it, but he did this really weird Chevy Chase movie called... Uh, uh, I think it's called the Invisible Agent or like the Adventures of the Invisible Man. Oh, and I just never even heard of that. Yeah, it just looks like a really bad Chevy Chase vehicle, and I am not a Chevy Chase fan. I do not. Oh, find really? I think he's well, and of course he's kind of gotten more douchey with age. Um, but like <laughs> he, he always just read to me as this guy that even in his SNL skits where he was funny, but he seems to think he's so good and so like funny that that cockiness and that that's side-eyedness makes me find it very hard to enjoy him in a movie. Oh, uh, okay. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, mean, I really like him, but 
Oh yeah, and, and I do want, and I, and I do enjoy like Christmas Vacation. Vacation's still funny, like, uh, and I and I actually wouldn't mind seeing Funny Farm, but I would say maybe after the seventies and the and the eighties when he gets more like I would say like hung out to dry and kind of like bitter and I would say more unlikable is where I'm like, okay, maybe there's something more in him before he gets there. Um, but I think as of now, I find Chevy Chase like abhorrently annoying uh, and unlikable. <laughs> like, that's, uh, a, and that's, every, a, that's a strong opinion. Oh yeah. Well, and also I mean, like, I'm not, I mean, like if you like find out, like apparently a lot of people in like, in, like cast that he's worked with don't, don't like him either. So huh. he's, oh yeah, he's, he refuses to be involved in any reunion on SNL. Uh, like he, he thinks the show went downhill once he left, uh, kind of attitude he's, he thinks. And so I'm like uh-huh. rolling my eyes very hard. Uh, but I, I would, I, I do eventually plan to bookend John Carpenter. The last one as well is called dark star. You can find it on like canopy or Amazon prime, but it's sort of like, it's like a grungier, dark, like, uh, spaceship drama, uh, and I have no idea what it's about, uh, but the production design looks really cool. And I'm like thinking, all right, let's jump into it. Uh, the other ones that I've recently finished uh, for, yeah, I have those three of John Carpenter and you finish. Uh, and then for Mike Nichols, uh, I, I, I kind of knew of him through The Graduate and like, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Birdcage. I love The Birdcage. But then all of a sudden, I like watch movies like Postcards from the Edge with Shirley MacLaine and Meryl Streep, which is a great movie, semi-autobiographical based off, uh, uh, off. Um, oh my God, am I, how am I forgetting her name? Uh, Princess Leia. Uh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher and her mother. Uh, like it's somewhat based off that dynamic because Postcards m- from the Edge is written by her. Mother is Debbie Reynolds. Thank you. Yeah. Like, uh, yes. Like, uh, I had this thing where like, I have all these notes for other movies and then I, my, so my brain's full of all those facts and I completely forgot like Carrie Fisher and, and I'm like thinking, how could I forget that name? No worries. Um, but it's a great movie, Postcards from the Edge, like great Meryl Street vehicle, great, like almost heightened, uh, alcohol, uh, alcohol addiction drama, uh, it's a it's a really wild movie too because it's almost self aware that it's a a movie about making of a movie mm. because it's about a wash up actress that had now has to deal with her like mother who's very demanding and how their de- chemistry is but she's also trying to be in the next Oscar winning movie and so you see her talking with her director friends and her editors and they're like you were so good in that past movie and they're ones that know how to shoot her scenes really well and so you kind of can see that she has a support group that want to help her get out of being an addict. Uh, So that one's a really good movie. Uh, He also directed a few other like lesser known gems like Cash 22. That was his film he did right after The Graduate. Um, uh, And then there's also like Silkwood, another like Meryl Streep collaboration. Great uh, performance by Meryl Streep. Uh, And then I saw this random ass movie called Day of the Dolphin with George C. Scott, where the premise of the movie is it's based off a book, but like it's literally about this secret organization that is training dolphins to uh, like follow through with assassinations. So like, oh and George C. Okay. Scott is training these dolphins, and he doesn't realize that the the that they're being used to like essentially track down the president and put a bomb on his boat. And it's like this movie's bonkers, but like, uh, yeah, that's crazy. 
Yeah, but like, uh, so, that, so that was like a really fun filmography for sure. Uh, he's he's kind of now getting kind of this resurgence of recognition, Mike Nichols. Like he is now with autobiography. Uh, Elaine May, one of his frequent collaborators, they did like kind of a, kind of like an equivalent of like a, uh, a like comedy duo act, like that kind of broke off and did their own things and they work together every now and again. Um, but like uh, Mike Nichols has like a great like uh, filmography and he's also done some great work on stage. Like he directed like uh, Spamalot on Broadway, the musical based off Monty Python uh, movie. Uh, so it's interesting to see kind of his career get a little more of like, oh, now people are like, mentioning his films more. They're mentioning him as a big influence that we kind of didn't really take for granted. So that was fun to kind of bookend his filmography. Uh, while also revisiting stuff like The Graduate, which I think still holds up. And, but yeah, I recommend his films to anyone who's curious about his filmography. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those films, I really recommend to anyone who's curious about his filmography. Uh, and of course, like there was one trilogy that uh, I felt like I had to watch as any quote unquote cinephile was uh, there's the three color trilogy going from red, white and blue uh, based off the French flag. So it's these three French films uh, by Carlos Kieslowski. And it's, it's kind of like those artsy French films where like in every like greatest films ever made, you see them mentioned and you see them in some like typical like film analysis class. And so I'm like, I guess I'll watch them just to check them off like my Seven Samurai or my Grand Illusion or my <laughs> yeah. Susan Kane kind of like film list. And uh -huh. they are amazingly impressive. Like each one is kind of a different emotion. Like Blue's the first one, it's more of a tragedy. White is more of a absurd comedy. And then Red is more of a love story. Hmm. And they're somewhat connected. But the way they're shot is there's so much intention where like the color represents not only just what the title of the movie is, but also represents like everything in the costuming, the lighting, every cinematographer is different. So they have a different like uh, obstacle to jump through where like white will be set in this snowy town in France or something like that. Or red will be like in this opera house and everything is, or this fashion uh, studio and everything has like this really dark, rich red coloring. There's so much like, uh, that can come from like the symbolism of it. Uh, I think it does get a bad rep for being kind of like pompous and like snooty. Cause a lot of, I think American moviegoers do see foreign cinema in that regard because it's talked in that regard. And I really like those three movies a lot. Uh, they're, they're pretty long winded, but so, they feel long winded, but really they're only an hour 20 each. They're surprisingly short. Uh, so you could literally watch all three in a day. Uh, yeah. and so that was kind of the big obstacle of like art house cinema checked off, uh, my list. Cause I felt like in 2020, I want, uh, my goal when I was in quarantine was to watch a lot more, uh, like famous cinema that I had not seen. Yeah. Uh, and that was like the one that all my artsy film nerd friends are like, you haven't seen the three color trilogy. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they're great. I, re I still recommend anyone who wants to see them, who really wants to delve into like foreign cinema particularly French cinema. Uh, and the last one I wanted to mention before passing it back to you was, uh, it's kind of somewhat connected to uh, our conversation about John Wick and Keanu Reeves, but the movie Nobody, uh, I would say is cut from the same cloth as like a, as like a guy who's a rock against in a hard place who now has to fight in these insane action sequences, but Nobody, 
I would think is one of the best uh, action films I've seen in a long time. Like I would put on par with John Wick in terms of impress, not like a great performance, um, but like this is probably the most atypical casting you would expect. You would expect Keanu Reeves to be an action film, but you would not expect um, Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Man, names are really slipped my mind today. Bob Odenkirk to be an action movie, and he has done it superbly well. Huh. Uh, like I was very surprised by when I saw it. I was like, this is a really good action. Like I would say it's like, I love the, the John Wick movies, but I would put nobody up there with the first one. Wow. Mm. Yeah. They have, it is almost very similar in story plot. So I'm more like putting it on that pedestal, not for the script, but more for uh, just how well the choreographed, the fight scenes are and the shootouts are. Uh, and like, yeah, nobody, I, I, so I want to bring that up because I felt like you would really enjoy it for sure. Cause it was, yeah, a I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And, uh, pass it back to you. So I, I've been trying to watch all the Warner brothers movies that have been releasing on HBO because it's like, Hey, that's like a, an amazing thing that they're putting out this year for, you know, the cost of your service. So like might as well. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I haven't went to the movie theaters, so this was a, a good way to watch a lot of movies that maybe I wouldn't have got to. But one of the first ones they put out was Little Things with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto mm-hmm. uh, and Rami Malek. And I think that that film is mildly flawed. It's definitely not perfect, but I enjoyed it. I thought that it was a an interesting crime mystery and it you know it's like the entire time i think it does a good job at kind of slowly revealing stuff and and making it you know not super obvious um you know interestingly enough i denzel washington i think is one of the finest american actors of all time i don't think this is his best performance though he's good in it but it's he's not great and same for rami malik i think the stand-up person in in this is jared leto um i think the writing of his character is maybe a little heavy-handed at times but he does a really good job at just being very creepy and unsettling and kind of throwing the viewer off the scent uh so to speak uh and you know i mean he, he you know of course like in jared leto fashion he like went really, really hard into like the method, you know, um, side of things with like his appearance and and everything for, for this, um, role. And like, yeah, he's just, he's creepy. He's, he's really weird and, (laughs) and did a good job at that. But I think for the style of film, um, you know, we're not seeing like that kind of movie too often anymore. Like the neo noir kind of like crime, drama that's like a slow burn that's that's kind of a thing of the past because more of like the neo-noir films that are coming out now are like really intense like really really intense from front to back and i like those kind of movies like i think prisoners would be a good uh, example of that but this is like neo-noir 
in the kind of slow paced. And I think that was a turnoff for a lot of people that like people that I knew that saw it were like, Oh God, the movie is so boring. It was very slow. Um, but that seemed, it seemed methodical. Um, in that I think that the, my one major beef with it though, was that, um, I think that the, ending was how to say this without spoiling it unsatisfying and I can accept an unsatisfying ending if it it if it serves good writing and I don't think this necessarily did um but yeah, I was. It was one. Of, I think it was a, a movie that, for the style of movie, usually those are very easy to predict. Like, oh yeah, I can see where this is going. I, I couldn't predict it, so I think that it was. I, I think it had some really good merits to it, um, and just good, not great. I also during this time uh, finally got around to watching The Irishman. It was. It's a labor of love. But once you commit to it, like, I don't know, I didn't really get that, that thing where like that everybody was saying about it, like, oh my God, it's so long. Oh, it's so boring. I was engaged the whole time. Like it's definitely a slow paced film, but to me, I thought it was all interesting enough that like, I, it didn't feel, it didn't feel completely like an arduous sort of task to watch it. And it didn't complete, completely feel totally you know um it didn't feel like i don't know i said it's a labor of love but it i i don't it didn't feel like a a task to to watch it oh yeah Um, it's definitely i think a lot of it stems from like i would say when i watched it i almost needed to know i would have no distractions because i kept having to pause it constantly uh, because like someone's walking into my, my bedroom or you have like, to commit to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, and I think because of Netflix is known for being like the binge, the pause and rewatch later, I almost feel like you almost need to almost unprogram what you associate with Netflix when it comes to these bigger, like prestige movies, like whether it's Roma, uh, or Irishman, for example, because yeah. I, I was a little like, I don't mean to go on a huge tangent, but kind of like how justice league had like those chapters, throughout the film. I almost am wondering, will they do that with these more longer length like uh, dramas? And I kind of am fine that they didn't do that in Irishman because I don't know. It's like, I think like tonally, I don't know where they could place it. It's just kind of thought I had because mm-hmm. the longer these films go and Netflix buys them, like will, I doubt they'll make them in like mini-sodes where you watch individual episodes, but would they be like bookmarks? like clear bookmarks, like pause and then come back later or something like that. Right. But I I don't know. To me, I thought the subject matter was interesting. Um, I, I didn't necessarily agree with the assessment that like, that's just four hours of an old man, just like telling boring stories. Like I, you know, but I also think that you have to like, you have to like, you have to like slower paced Martin Scorsese films. Cause I think everybody always kind of like references, his like really his snappy, in, in, intense like, yeah. snappy films. But you know, he's got part of his catalog is, is more dialogue based and, 
so like this I think is probably his like one of his slower movies but I, I don't think it was so like out of left field like to me I was like yeah this feels like a Martin Scorsese film it feels oh yeah it feels like you know um it felt like it took like you know his gangster subject matter and was more like how kind of how he does filmmaking now because it was slow and plotting very much like um oh shoot what's that movie with Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield oh silence silence so silence is very slow as well and so I I don't know I think that's just kind of like where he's at as a filmmaker is like you know because he's done like the real you know probably cocaine fueled uh films like you know he's done that like he's an old man now so it's like I think it's okay that like his his pace is like slowed a bit but oh yeah and i think at some point like uh like every director has like one for the studio one for me and i feel like he'll do he he could probably still do a wolf of wall street movie if he needs to get back that that surge well that's a good point that's a that's a modern scorsese that movie's fucking insane so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't yeah that's what, what i was saying isn't even necessarily true like he can still make a really like wild ass movie um yes so uh, yeah, I, I was totally fine with it. I thought it was interesting. I think that the acting was great in it. Um, I think Joe Pesci especially was like really surprising because I think you see that billing and you're like, oh well, this this is movie centered around De Niro, and he was good in it. But I think uh, Pesci was kind of the the dark horse the in quiet, that. Yeah, he was the quieter, more in the shadows persona. Where usually in his past Scorsese films, he's kind of like the loud in your face like gravitates all energy toward him while we i would say like al pacino kind of took on that type of persona in this i was gonna say that yeah so i think that was a good move because i think it would have been a total turnoff if there was like two really like super intense characters because because yeah de niro his I, i liked his portrayal as well because he definitely doesn't take on a like commanding kind of character it his is also very much like a he's he's even though he's the main character he's very circumstantial like i'm here and then i i'm i'm the guy who will do these things that's kind of like his story but yeah i thought it was very interesting um i think it's even more interesting that like if you start looking into like the the book that that's based off of like the validity of that guy's story, I think is fascinating. Oh yeah. Is it, is it true? Is it bullshit? Like, I think that's very cool. Oh yeah. And it feels very spiritually akin to Goodfellas because Henry Hill and that one's an unreliable narrator as well. Uh, so it's kind of, there is almost like this double coined meaning of like, it demystifies the gangster lifestyle from a person who you may not really trust what they're saying. It's a, it's sort of like you're basically adding myth to a, to a mythology, to a myth, you're demystifying a myth that is the gangster. There's a lot of like double phrasing that could probably play on it, but like, right. uh, but like, uh, but oh, like I, saw- yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, like it's definitely one that I think I need to rewatch for sure. Cause I didn't quite know how to feel about it when it came out because it, I wasn't quite fond of the aging uh, technology. I personally think they should have just gotten a different actor to play younger De Niro and then have De Niro play older De Niro. But then I could, or just, do play the effects better because now we see the deep fakes on YouTube that look a lot better than what they did in the movie. And to where I'm mm-hmm. like, 
did they maybe were they rushed? Did they not really have enough time? Like, there are all these questions that I always wonder. Like, how would this movie been if? But for what it is, just to be fair, like uh, I do think it's a very flawed Scorsese film. But I think it's one of his like I would say uh, not necessarily a curtain call for his career. But it's you kind of see like it's he's being very reflective on himself and the genre that he's been in. Kind of like we see in Steven Spielberg films now. There's this whole sense of looking back upon your past, like reflection. Well, and I think the other thing that I I really enjoy about that film is that he, since it is kind of just like a slow dialogue, like heavy, just sitting in the pocket sort of film, he's doing a lot of like going back to like classic filmmaking, just like subtle filmmaking techniques. And it is one of those Scorsese films where he's like showing a little bit of everything. And I, I, I love those movies. Uh, like, you know, Goodfellas is very much like that. Like it's, it's got a little bit of everything. He's like, you know, really kind of showing off his bag of tricks, but then it's maybe not as like loud and in, his, and in your face as some of, you know, his other, other films, which are like, he's doing extremely like bold filmmaking choices. Um, I mean, he is a bit in, in Goodfellas, but there, I, I just saw like, there's like a lot of his greatest hits. I, 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 so to speak in, uh, Irishman, but moving forward, uh, I'm just going to just blast through a few more. I've watched all of the uh, Untold series on, well, which was the WWE Network. Now it's on Peacock, so but um, it's uh, a series of WWE documentaries. And they're actually four, they're four WWE. They're like really well produced. They're, they're very well produced. And I think they're cool because they're, it's just what it, it sounds like, Untold. It's basically like, perspectives and stories on like a really specific or narrow topic. And it's, it's from a perspective of the people that were involved and gets into like things that most fans, even like a very heavy fan like myself wouldn't know. And if you're a casual fan, you're probably, you know, totally surprised, but um, they're, they're really well produced. And so I, I've watched all of those. Uh, I've been watching, Every Saturday, the Ghostbusters YouTube channel has been putting out episodes of the 1980s classic, The Real Ghostbusters cartoon. And so every Saturday I've been trying to watch like I'm not every Saturday. I've, I've missed some, but it's kind of fun if like, you know, get up, have a cup of tea, have some breakfast, uh, watch some Saturday morning cartoons. So I've been watching those. And then uh, for my birthday, my mom got me the DVD collection of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. (laughs) So now I've been kind of busting out um, some of those. I actually watched one today. So those are one. And let's see here. There's a couple more I was going to rattle off. I watched the short film. It was, it got a bunch of awards a few years back. It's a couple of years old now. Uh, I watched the short film Hair Love, which is an animated Mm. film. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. Um, And that's such a beautiful story. Um, If you aren't 
if you know if you aren't choked up by the end of it i think that you're a soulless monster um but it's uh it's a really cool movie in terms of like representation and if you're not familiar with it it's about this little girl um and she is having a hard time she's black and she's having a hard time doing her hair and she tries to get her father to help her do her hair and he's like you know typical dad like kind of just like oh geez i don't know and 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 this this little girl's watching this youtube channel and that's all i want to say because i think it's on youtube uh you should everybody should check it out and it's you know it's kind of kind of fun and there's like little to no dialogue to in it um and but then it turns into this like really amazingly sweet and sentimental kind of heartbreaking story. Um, really, really good. I watched that um, during black history month and uh, it was a video that also got circulated um, through my company uh, on uh, the company I work for Columbia care services on our uh, company internet um, during black history month. So really cool short film. Especially if you're into animated stuff, it's got really good animation. Uh, also during Black History Month, I watched the second Creed movie, which I was really late to the party, but I love the Rocky movies. I l- love the first Creed. I don't think this one's quite as good as Creed 1, but I really dug it. And I think that they did a good job with having a logical continuation of the story. And I think they also did a good job bringing in... Uh, bringing Ivan Drago back in and his son back in and making that like not so predictable and typical of the like, you know, stereotypical, uh, you know, bad, bad guy, Russian, uh, you know, archetype. I like, I, I love by the end, there's like a really interesting journey, um, of all the characters and I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with the third one, because now Michael B. Jordan is like he's has a way more creative stake in it um, rather than just being the lead actor. So I'm I'm curious to that. But I think those movies have been hella solid and they're they're doing cool things with like especially um, his character like growing as a man, you know, there's like some, there's some cool internal stuff that I think is, they do a bit in the Rocky movies, but is it's almost better executed, um, with this movie. And I have two more to mention. I watched Emma oh, with same. Anya Taylor joy and, uh, the Jane Austen adaptation. I've heard a lot of mixed stuff on other people's opinions of this movie. I really enjoyed it. I think that she was wonderful in it. She does a really good job. I think here's the thing with it, though. In terms of like Jane Austen, like work, I heard a lot of people complaining like, oh, all she does is like that character sucks. She just meddles and stuff. And it's like, well, that's the book. Like, you know, I I don't know. I like I didn't have a problem with that because like that's that's what happens. And it, I suppose it just isn't maybe as like as satisfying an audience watch as like some of the other like Jane Austen uh, adaptations, you know, but 
And this isn't the first Emma, uh, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was like a cool period piece. It's a very beautiful film. It's yes. It's one of the first, visually. Like, for, for me at least, I grew up with like my mom and sister who loved Jane Austen and everything. Like I grew up with like tea parties in the house all the time and they would watch the Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice miniseries. Uh, yeah. And so I've read Sense Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. I've not read uh, Emma. Uh, but I, for me at least as someone that I would say has a decent understanding of who Jane Austen is as an author. Uh, like I would say this adaptation of Emma did, I think one of the best uh, takes on, cause the books do such good job in descriptions. It describes the interior of the house, the wardrobe, uh, the, this, the intricate little details of like teacups. And I felt like this one heightened that. It almost yeah. made it like a, I don't want to say cartoonish per se, but it felt exaggerated. It's pop, It's poppy. I would yeah, say it, like, yeah, it's, it's poppy. It's pop posh. Uh, yeah. And because you basically see really how like, Oh, these people are in their own little world. That is clearly not uh, the average working person of that time. So mm -hmm. there's almost is something heightened and not necessarily fantastical, but I would say slightly uh, it plays up also the satire uh, of, of her genre as well. So it's, I would say it's pokes fun at the world that Jane Austen writes about at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you there. It's not my favorite Jane Austen adaptation. Like I love the Ang Lee Sense Sensibility uh, movie with uh, with uh, with like Alan Rickman a lot. That's one of my favorites. Um, but like this one, I would say like uh, some of the best wardrobe and like uh, productions I've seen. That's uh, what I was point. gonna say. Yeah, it like. They, oh my gosh, yeah. The production design, like the sets were in, amazing. The costuming was amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really, really oh, yeah. did. And oh. I think that it had a lot of good qualities. I wanted to, um, I, how do you say this guy's name? Um, her, her father, Bill, Bill Nye, dude, he was so good in that. Like his, just like weirdly aloof, but he like is very loving in, in, in his own way. But his whole thing where he was just like afraid of getting a cold. And the, so he's like, box me in around the, the fireplace. I just the way that he like played that so dry. I, I loved it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. to, he, well, to me, he was the MVP like that. You know, he's like he he really capitalized on his like limited screen time. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that movie, like with Jane Austen, like you almost got to cast presence and faces. And this movie does a good job in casting faces, I would say. Like everyone seems almost like a caricature of a British person in a, like a <coughs> cartoon in a weird way. Like uh, yeah, sure. that drooping face. Ani Taylor-Joy has like that very, almost like a pristine, like porcelain doll face. Mm -hmm. uh, th th they're kind of caricatures of British culture at that time era in a, fun in a weird way. Sure. And last but not least, uh, this is a weird one to leave off on, but this this is where we're going to leave off because I was wrong, people that were listening to this. I thought we could do this in one episode, or we're not. So we're gonna we're gonna have we are gonna have a a tenth episode. So this is where I'm gonna leave it off. I watched the art of self defense, and Whoa. this is a weird place to leave off, but I think it's it's a it's a decent one to have a quick little conversation about because it is. Maybe one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. So I've it's heard, yeah. I've so seen it. freaking bizarre and so 
dark and fucked up. It's, it's, it's so weird. Um, so it, it reads as kind of like a, it reads as like a very dry indie comedy that is like a little more of a dark take on like the fit fist foot way with Danny McBride. It's not that at all though. It's not that at all. The, the martial arts aspects are super present, but it's way more like an exploration into toxic masculine masculinity. And I don't know if it's an exploration that is let's satirize this to take the piss out of it and you know and we're making a statement on it or if we're glorifying it i don't i don't know i i I honestly don't know and i like so it left me i don't didn't know what to think about it because also it reads again as it would be like pretty funny i didn't find it very funny at all there was a few things that were funny but it is so it's so dark and it's wrapped up in this like such a dry packaging (laughs) that I think a lot of the jokes are more like break like a little bit of like dry levity in between like super disturbing you know portions of the film and so it in some ways it is like it's it's leaning into like it's it's satirical to toxic masculinity in that like there's some very absurdist things in it but then again like i don't know if it's like glorifying toxic masculinity i i don't know it's very weird Mm. um but it is like there's some stuff in it that you're downright just like oh my god i cannot believe that happened and like it's so just insane or disturbing it's really really weird um and all right i i i think it like they did a good job at like actually working around jesse eisenberg's typecast because he's totally typecast in this but they like make that work like that whole like oh i'm like kind of awkward like idiosyncratic you know kind of nerdy guy that like that's like what he's known for now you know like that's that's his deal and i think they did a good job at like oh we're gonna take that guy and really make him make it work in the the structure of this film um and I, I don't want to I don't want to get too far into like how they do that, because I I would encourage people to watch it because, again, I don't know if I liked it. I literally don't know if I liked it. And I don't know if it's actually a good movie. I think it's got some good qualities, but I think it's a fascinating watch because it's like it's wholly original for sure. And again, if it's this like really uh surreal out of the box take on like you know satirizing toxic masculinity then 
bravo, it was very creative. If it's not, then it's extremely problematic. Uh, so, so I don't know. I think it's just like, it's an interesting film. I think if you're a film fan to like analyze, I would love to know other people's opinions on it. Oh yeah. Like I, I definitely would assume like my, my first impression was, oh, it's going to be a satire going into it. So like, I definitely plan to watch it after you brought it up when you first screened it. So, but again, I, I, I don't know if that was like what was intended though. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's uh, yeah. Again, I would like be prepared. It's not going to be an enjoyable watch. You're going to be like, uh, what? So yeah, I, I was kind of looking for like, Oh, this is going to like make me laugh. And I was like, Oh, this is, this made me not happy. <laughs> so with that, uh, do you have any other that you want to, pop out here a couple uh i might save those for the next episode though because i feel like uh as you know me i'm a little long-winded and i feel like and any of those i'm glad would mention i feel like i would take up another half an hour <laughs> that's fair let's let's stop it here well thanks for joining me and we will reconvene for number 10 and i i will I'm sticking to that. That'll definitely be the last one where we'll make that yeah. work we'll, um, we'll play a tarantino and stop at 10 Yes. Yes. Um, and we will not like make all these uh, sub rules as to why we can deviate from that. Like he has <laughs> basically put into place. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. All right. See you, folks. All right, my nerdy nerds. Thanks so much for checking out the episode. And thanks to my guest host, Jimmy Levins, for joining me for part nine of Quarantine Watchlist. Be on the lookout for part 10. It is coming very shortly after this. And then that will be the end of this series. And we'll move on to other things with Nerds with Opinions. If you're digging what I'm doing here with Nerds with Opinions, make sure you are following me on social media on both Twitter and Instagram at nerds underscore opinions and on Facebook at nerds with opinions. Also, make sure you are following me on Spotify if you're a Spotify person. If you are an Apple Podcast person, rate and review this episode. It really helps me out. And if you feel so inclined, share it out with your homies. It really, really helps me out. That is all I've got for you today. Be on the lookout for more episodes coming very, very soon. And also, the launch of the YouTube page is going to be coming very, very soon as well. I've just been editing and 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 recording a bunch of content, uh, video stuff. So be on the lookout for that. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holman, and you have been listening to Nerds with Opinions.